0: I also get the wonderful privilege of introducing our guest speaker for today. Uh, He may be new to some of you here, uh, but he is no stranger to Bayview Glen Church. He's done ministry in the early 90s for about 15 years in the area, and for 12 of those years, he was a senior pastor here at Bayview Glen Church. And so uh, I think I can say honestly on behalf of myself and Lucas, when we think about our vision here at Bayview Glen, which is to work together so that everyone everywhere can experience God's love and create a purpose through Jesus, we are able to do that successfully here because of the influence, impact, and past leadership of Dr. Nelson Annan. So please join me in giving a warm welcome to Dr. Annan. It's a delight for Jan and myself to be back here. Although we've pastored a number of churches and preached in many, uh, this really does feel like home. In fact, when I didn't know I was going to be called to this church, but I was on the platform for the first time as a guest speaker, I thought, man, Lord, I really feel at home here, and didn't know that uh, a while later God would uh, call us to be here for 12 years. A great worship team you have here. Aren't you glad that you've got people like that? Uh, Choice of songs, and man, this church is so well organized, much more organized than when I was here. And then, wouldn't you know it, our PowerPoint froze in the middle of the reading of Scripture. You, you know, you work at everything, and then electronics lets you down. Uh, but we're just really enjoying the... The building is the same and yet very different. And so we've enjoyed... I've, we walked through the children's education area and thought, Man, our pastor of children back uh, years ago, she would have loved to have that kind of entrance that there is there now. And some of the other things that have just are, are looking good. Uh, Lucas and I have had coffee together several times over the years I've, since he's come here. I try to encourage him and pray for him. And when he said uh, about six months ago, hey, would you like to come and preach? I said, sure. And he said, Thanksgiving or January 5th? And I said, yeah, January 5th would be a great time to come. And so uh, my privilege to uh, be back here where I preached uh, regularly for 12 years. Been back a few times. But, uh, and, and for those of you who know us and lost contact, maybe just a quick thumbnail. When we left here in 2006, uh, we thought we were gonna go to a church close by, but instead we were led to Calgary and we passed pastored a church there. And I said to the elders, look, I'm 65. I don't, I'm not ready to retire at all. So if you don't say, you come to me and say, we need a younger guy, I'll get out of the way. But if you don't, I may be preaching here for another five years till I'm 70. Three months later, we felt strongly God was calling us to go and plant an international church in Vietnam. And so uh, I went back to the elders and said, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to retire here. We're off to Vietnam in a few months. And so we had four great years there after four years in Calgary. And then to amazement, can you imagine anybody approaching a 69-year-old and saying, we'd like you to come and be our senior pastor? Well, there are There's a strain among Asians that really respect senior people. And so the Filipino church and the west side of Calgary, or south side of Calgary, said, hey, would you come and give us some years as our senior pastor? And I said, at 69, I may die tomorrow. Who knows what can I give you? You (laughs) But sure, if you want me. And so we had four great years there. So uh, after we left here, four years in Calgary, four years in Vietnam, four years back in Calgary, and then finally uh, in... uh, a year and a half ago, I said to uh, the Filipino church, look, you really need to get somebody younger. My energy level is going down. I can keep preaching, but I really don't, can't give you the leadership you need. You need to get somebody. So we retired a year and a half ago and then immediately went to Vietnam for seven weeks to do an interim pastoring there where we had been before. And by the way, I was sitting down. My wife counsels me, don't be afraid to sit down when they're singing because, you know, it's a, you never thought of this, but Lucas stands up for the songs, and then he has to get up and stand while all of you just sit back and relax. And then he does it in a second service. But that's okay, because he's young. But an old guy like me, we went to Vietnam, and I was preaching three times uh, on Sunday. And by the third time, I'm thinking, you know what? I don't know if I can keep standing for three more songs and being lively and preach a good sermon. So with my wife's counsel, I try to sit down in the second service a little bit. All of that to say, great to be back, great to be with you, and great to be with you on a day like today, the fifth Sunday, or fifth day of the year, and the first Sunday. I read a, I just uh, wasn't looking for an introduction to this sermon, I just happened to be scanning, I do about five papers a day usually, electronically, and I came across Callum Marsh writing in the National Post on January 1st, and he wrote, more than half of us set our own New Year's resolutions. I was surprised that more than half still do that. Um, Less than 25% of those people report having maintained their resolutions beyond the second week of February. So if you manage to get through February with your resolution, you are in the top 25%. And on the whole, only 8% keep their resolution throughout the entire year. Only 8%. No wonder some of you never make resolutions. Why bother? You know, that's, that's a bad statistic. And then I came across the, the app Strava he mentioned to get some statistics from, uh, which some of you use if you're serious runners or bikers. He said they note a huge fall off on January 12th. So it was very nice of Pastor Andy to ask you today, how are you doing? Because by January 12th, uh, a lot of, lot of fall off. In our life with God, there are a lot of people who start well but don't go on very long. And and a lot of people who will say, well, yeah, I really ought to do better this year. But they don't. And it's one thing if you stop running as much as you should. It's one thing if you're promised to do better with not eating so much ice cream and, and you stop doing that. But it's not so good if with regard to your spiritual health, you can't keep going on. Many of us are kind of like a uh, favorite story of mine is of two guys who were committed hunters who loved to hunt for moose. And they would hire a, pastor or hire a pilot to fly into this deserted uh, small lake hidden away that nobody else went to and drop them in there on a float plane. And they would hunt for five days and then they'd be picked up and they would take home some moose meat and have the joy of camping, etc. So they hired a pilot and when they talked with him, he said, You know, we've done this before. We've been to that lake a couple times. And, and so if you'll take us in there, drop us there for five days. We've got a tent, we've got our supplies, then pick us up in five days. Pilot said, Okay. When they came around, circled that lake, the pilot thinks, Man, that lake is pretty small. But he drops in over the fir trees and has to pull back very quickly and manages to land the float plane on the lake pulls up to the edge of the lake, and they unpack their supplies and their rifles and and their tent, and they settle in, and he bids them goodbye, and he realizes, man, i got to rev up the engines to get up on this small lake to get it up and over those trees, and he does it, flies away. But before he does, he says to them, look, I've landed on this lake before. It is a tough lake to land on and, and harder to take off from. So let me be clear, you're hunting for moose. You can take the meat home from one moose, But there's no way we're going to take an extra 100 pounds from a second moose. So just kill one moose, we'll take that. And they say, Great, have a great time. Five days later, he flies back. And there they are on the shore. They're all bundled up, tents packed, everything. But as he's taxiing in, he sees this huge chunk of meat there, all wrapped up. And he gets out of the plane and he says, That meat's not going. I told you, that's not the meat of one moose. They said, no, we really had a great time. We killed two moose. We don't want to waste the food. We, we can take it with us. He said, no, we can't. So small plane, this is a small lake. If we're going to get out of here safely, we need to leave that meat and just take that meat. And they looked at each other and said, the pilot last year did it. Well, you know, if you're a competitor at all, are you sure Yeah, he did. He said, yeah, we'll take all that meat. He did that on this lake. Yeah, he did. All right, pack it in. So they pack it in. If the other guy did it, I can do it. Revs up the engines as much as he can, backs the plane up as far as he can, and then they take off. And it's hard getting up with that extra 100 pounds of meat there. He's just getting up there, but the fir trees are pretty high, And the pontoons clip the fir trees in softly because they're fir trees, but definitely they crash. And after several minutes, one of the hunters who's lying on the ground looks over and sees his friend a few meters away. And he says, Where are we? Kind of stunned, the other guy looks around and he says, I don't know, but I think we're 100 meters farther than last year. (laughs) A lot of us live our lives that way. We know the old saying that if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. And so my hope and prayer for you is, as you listen to the word of God with me today, that you won't settle for that. Just doing what you've always done thinking that you will keep growing and maturing into the godly person God wants you to if you don't change some things. And so think about that. I want to look at just two verses in the book of Romans, but I want to, I can't take you through the book of Romans, which I should do to really get the context, but at least let's read several passages together, okay, to just get the flavor of the goodness of God to all of us who respond to what he offers us in Jesus. So would you stand with me? And hopefully the the verses are gonna come up now and they won't freeze on us. So we're gonna read several passages from Romans and let's read them out loud. And I always say, don't compete. There are some fast readers here, but read with us, okay? And let's read it all together. Reading together. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Notice the words, everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. God is perfect, and so none of us get close to that. But in his grace to us, we are justified, that is, we are made acceptable to God, Freely by his grace. Nothing we can do, but by faith in what Christ has done, we are freely justified by his grace. Next one is in chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. Read it with me. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Peace with God, who hates sin, he's allergic to sin. We can be at peace with him and know that he accepts us through Jesus Christ. We've gained access by faith. Some people think anybody can pray and everybody's being heard by somebody somewhere out there. Well, it's really access through Christ, and we have that confidence. Next verse, Romans chapter 8, we'll read. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's an amazing thing, but it's true. If you've really committed your life by faith to Christ, turning away from living for yourself, living for him, then the reality is the God of heaven and earth says, you can call me Father. Don't ever take that for granted. What an amazing thing. One more. Romans chapter 8, a little bit later on in the chapter. Read with me. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son... But gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If he gave his very best in the unique son, Jesus Christ, well, then why would you think he won't give you everything that you need? Why wouldn't he if he's given us the best? And now the two verses we're going to look at this morning together. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 pleasing and perfect will notice therefore that is the connective to 11 chapters of romans that we don't have time to look at but we've seen several of the neat things there saying because of all of this that's why i'm urging you therefore it's tied to if you go back and read romans 1 11 you say man this is all that god gives us all that he's done for us yes therefore this is what we're to do and we're going to talk about that please be seated I want to think, first of all, about the challenge of verse 1, in which the Apostle Paul says, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Give God what he deserves. That's what Paul is saying. He uses a strong word, unusual word, that's kind of half command, half plea. I beseech you, I beg you, please give yourself to God. And he uses the word body for a couple of reasons, I suppose, because Hebrew, Israel Christian Israel believers were used to taking birds and offering them or taking a lamb and offering them. And many pagans, of course, were used to doing the same thing at their altars of various gods and goddesses. Maybe also because Greeks, Greek philosophy tended to downplay the body. You are really your spirit, and as long as your spirit is being the ethical person you should be, really doesn't matter what your body does. For whatever reason, he uses that term body and we're convinced part of it would be because God is saying, I want your everything. I don't want you just saying, well, yes, my mind and my spirit worship God Sunday morning and my body Saturday night, it gets to do what it wants to do. That we are to offer to God everything. And we should do this because of his mercy. Your motive has to be right. I think way too many people start the Christian life with mixed motives. And if our motives aren't grounded, if we don't have a foundation, then we won't finish well. We won't continue well. Our resolutions will disappear pretty quickly if we don't have that. Your motives need to be right. Many religions various kinds around the world. They make sacrifices, why? To gain the mercy of a god or a goddess. Christianity is exactly the reverse. We receive mercy from God by faith, We say, God, we know Jesus died for us. We know your grace and forgiveness is available and I'm coming to you by faith. I offer myself to you and I'm gonna follow you. Please forgive my sins and I receive his grace and his mercy. And so Paul is saying, after 12 chapters, 11 chapters in Romans, he's been building this. That's why I wanted to read a couple of verses. Look, this is what God's done for you. Look, this is what God's done for you. Look what you have in Jesus. Look, if you walk with him, this is what you have. Now, having seen all that, because of his great compassion, his mercies, the, the way he has given to you so much, give yourself to God because of his grace. Give yourself to God. Your motive must be right. Not while I'm joining the club, so i got to go to church every week. And i got to give some money. And I've got to, no, no, no. Motivated by what God has given you, you say, you know what? I need, I need to respond to God. And if he wants all of me, he deserves all of me. And so that serious commitment to give God not just a section of your life, but every aspect of your life. Your motive has to be right, and then your commitment must be total. I was smiling, trying to think of examples, and I happened for some reason to think of uh, the Canadian Army. So I did a little investigating. You can be an expert very quickly on Google. And I was investigating and thought, can you imagine somebody, parallel some people who come into the Christian church, somebody walking in and saying, you know what, I'm ready to join the Army. They say, well, you have to know, I know these things, okay, and you have to be able to do this, I can do those things. Okay, sign right here, all right? In a week from now, you are to report to Quebec where our basic training is done. Oh, no, 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 I've I've just joined the army and I'm for that, but I'd rather stay in Toronto. I'm sorry, you're in the army. You don't say where you'd rather be. You go to Quebec. That's where we start. And so, reluctantly, he goes to Quebec and basic training begins and... It's really tough. I did a little reading on that. I was glad to see our soldiers are really put through the pra- pra- paces and really work at it. But along comes the fourth or fifth week, and they say, "Now we're going to introduce you uh, to uh, some of the military hardware." And you say, "I'm really glad to be It's been fun. These exercises have been challenging, but it's been good. But but I'd, I'd rather not touch guns, please. Excuse me. You're in the army." You don't get to choose where you go. You don't get to choose if you're going to use armaments or not. We all train on them, at least. But there are some people who become Christian, I think, sincerely believe in Jesus and say, I want to follow Jesus, except. And I want to really be sincere with him, except. And God comes to us and says, No, what I want you to do is give your whole self. The only marriages that blossom and bloom in great health are the ones where the husband gives himself wholly to his wife and says, honey, if you don't want me buying some more of my expensive toys, I can stop doing that. You know, if you, you know, if, if that's the only date night we can have and you used to go with, with the girls, well, okay, I guess I'll do that because I've given myself wholly to you and, and I, I really like having my own bank account. I don't know, but you know what? If we're going to be given wholly to each other, yeah, we can, we can blend our expenses and end our spending and... and we're, we're going to be in it totally, right? And there are many who don't do that, which is why they'd rather live together. Because I'm not sure, and I don't want to be too vulnerable, and I'd like to get out of it if I can. It's totally against what God wants for you as a Christian. He wants you to be all in. And so this challenge, which came to me when I was 16, and it just made sense to me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be all in has made such a difference and makes a difference in anybody who makes that serious commitment to say, God, I'm all in. The third thing in this first verse is your worship must start here. So your motive has to be right. If you're not motivated by a thankful heart to God, growing to appreciate more and more how good God is and how much he's given, you'll never continue as a follower. And your commitment has to be total, otherwise, when temptation comes up, you're gonna be tempted to say, Well, I think this area of my life, it's okay. You know, I just don't want God bothering me in my area of sexuality. I don't want God bothering me when it comes to what I do with my money or whatever it is. No, no, I'm in totally. I want to be given totally to God once for all. And then your worship must start here. This is your true and proper worship. It's a phrase that's hard to translate. Some would translate it, your spiritual worship, your reasonable or intelligent worship, whatever basically it is saying, as Old Testament believers offered sacrifices, God wanted their hearts to be in it. You see that in the Old Testament often, and, and so in the New Testament, God is coming to us and saying, I want your whole heart, and that's where the f- worship is to come. Your service of worship, your words of worship have to come from that Otherwise, and sadly this happens in churches all around the world, people will come to a worship service and they feel so good and so close to God because the worship band is good and the words are good and the feeling is good and they're really into it. But then they go out and live lives that are so in contrast to the words that they have sung. What's happened? They've had a good feeling. You can get good feelings in different ways, but God wants our intelligent, reasonable worship He wants our worship to flow out of this total commitment because of who God is and what he has done for us. Once for all, we say, I'm all in. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, God, every area of my life and every area of my future, I am all in because of what you've done, because of who you are, because of your love for me, I'm committed to you. If you've not done that, There's no better time to do it than do it today, to begin this year, this decade, the rest of your life, confident that you are fully committed, just as God is fully committed to you. That's verse one. I urge you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, totally acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, wonderful worship. Then, in the second verse, Paul gets a little more practical, and he says... You need to think right and live in the will of God. To think right and live in the will of God. Do you believe that God knows you, loves you, wants the best for you? If you do, then you want him to be changing your thinking because it's not a club you've joined. It is a godly person you have joined your life up to. And as we do that, the challenge comes to us. Don't conform to this world it's always easy in every age for literally the translation would be from greek don't conform to this age the age we live in is different century after century decade after decade but it's always not conformed to what god wants because we just naturally disobey god and naturally do what we want to do and so don't conform to this culture to this pattern of this world the pressure that is there, and it's never been harder than it is today. Why? Well, just because of the electronics that we have now. You know, before radio, nobody ever could invade a home. They shut the door, and all the voices you ever heard were just there, you know? Maybe I guess you have to go back before record players. But, but now, as you know, and as some of you live... You can be listening to an iPod or listening to music 24-7 if you want. I have a relative who goes to sleep listening to a podcast. And she says she gets up, knows where she fell asleep, and she'll listen to the rest of it later. Fortunately, she listens to good podcasts. But, you know, you've almost driven over people who are listening to music and they don't know where they are. They're just walking to work and the rest of the world take care of them and they just walk on. And so the music or the screen, or whatever, is with us all the time. And what does most of it do? Most of it is coming from a worldview that is totally unlike the Christian worldview. And so we've got to learn to not conform to this world, not let the world press us into its mold. And if we don't do that with specificity, with with without focus, without really thinking about it, of course we're going to go along with the world because it's all around us. And that's why in the evangelical Christian world, there are all kinds of positions on all kinds of things. Some of it has to do with interpreting scripture, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that the voice of the world makes it very hard for me not to conform. Why do I spend the money? Why do I feel the need to buy that? Why do I feel it's okay for me to do what God says it's not okay to do? Where does that come from? Well, it comes from the voices that I'm surrounded by. The, the movies I watch, the games I play, the music I listen to, the friends that I talk to. The culture is all around me. So as a translator of the New Testament uh, 50, 60 years ago said, don't let the world press you into its mold. It's negative. You've got to know. When you come to faith in Christ, really, there's a negative and a positive always. I've got to turn from that. I've got to turn to this. i could keep turning to him. Don't conform to this world. But be transformed. Be transformed. When I married Jan, I just really did well. You know, I couldn't find anybody in Ontario to marry me. Grew up in Markham. And so I went to the U.S. for grad school and thankfully Jan was there from Michigan and she agreed to marry me. And She did it 51 years ago. She's still hanging in there. But when she married me, I could tell she loves me as I am. But it wasn't very long, maybe several months. She said, honey, you know, we ought to buy some clothes for you. As I'd worked my way through McMaster University, I did, I didn't have two nickels to put together. And so, yeah, I dressed pretty badly, and I kind of was aware of it, but she was very aware of it. So she changed my wardrobe, which was wonderful. And then it wasn't too much longer, maybe a couple of years. She said, sweetheart, you're in front of people a lot now that you're preaching and teaching. Um, I had bad dental habits when I was young. We really ought to get your front four teeth capped. Now, she loved me just as I was, but she said, it'd be really nice to get, and so, my smile is a little better. And then, and I can't remember how long this was, but probably several years later, she said, you know, when you're preaching, and you're wearing glasses, as you have since you were in grade two, uh, there's a glare off those glasses that, you know, the, the communication, the eye contact is not as good. We should get you into contact lenses, and so... I wear contact lenses. Now, she loved me as I was, but the clothes were changed, the teeth were changed, the eyes were changed. And then she said to me, to look more mature, why don't you dye your hair white? No, no. I did that on my own. She didn't do that. Do you know that God loves us that way? He loves you as you are. When you come to him with your messes, with your wounds, with the things in your life, he just loves you as you are. But he doesn't wants you to stay that way, and he wants you to stop. Stop conforming that way. Start being transformed. And so there's a verb tense change there, actually. The, the verb in, in the first verse is a once-for-all kind of verb. And then in the second verse, it is be is don't be being conformed. In other words, it's going to be an ongoing thing. And be being transformed. And the fun thing is that word transform Uh, in Greek is almost brought exactly into English, and it's the English word metamorphosis. Now, Paul's not saying you're a worm and turn into a butterfly, but the word that we we have taken from that Greek word really is that idea of transforming and how that little worm can get into a cocoon and in several weeks come out as that glorious butterfly is an amazing thing. But in a real sense, that's what God wants to be doing with you day by day, day by day, changing you from the worm into the butterfly, changing your life so that, and and how do you do that? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I thought it would just happen if I go to church and go to a small group and sing the right songs transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you are going to be the Christian God wants, the Christians we need more and more in Canada, you have to have a transformed mind. You need to think differently. Because if not, you will be thinking with the values, the perspectives of the world. You wouldn't say that. No, 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 no. But you are because the culture is so strong. A renewed mind. And that takes me to the second thing when I was 16 years old. And I don't know, it's only by the grace of God, but at that camp, I was challenged to read the Bible every day. And I don't know, again, it just clicked with me, and I thought, you know, that probably sounds right. If this is the word of God, I better be doing it. And I started a habit. I was in a Christian family, but nobody at that time, to my knowledge, was having time with God every day we had a hundred year old house and i the basement was a mess but i'd go down and sit on the steps there and i started the practice of taking i think i started first 15 minutes i'm going to read the bible and then i'm going to pray and almost six decades later i'm still doing it and what has it done it's transformed my mind why well Because I listen to the voice of God, and 90% of the time I do it in the morning before I listen to the voice of my culture. I'm getting God's word back in the front of my mind. Some of you are doing that, praise God. But I have met so many Christians. I have talked with some wonderful elders in my church, churches. And I find out, no, I really, I've never got into the habit, I only do it twice a week or, you know, or I read a daily bread, I grab three minutes as I'm eating my breakfast. And I, you know, and I think, how do you expect to have a transformed mind if the culture is feeding your mind all the time and you only let God speak to you for 60 seconds or 90 seconds? So I want to challenge you today. You want to live the way you should this year? You want your mind to become more and more like Jesus? You've got to make time. Now, if you need to do it last thing at night, if you can do it at lunchtime, somehow you've got to be feeding your soul. Or in this case, have your mind renewed. How can I have my mind renewed? By the Spirit of God speaking to me, and normally He speaks to me through the Word of God. Now, we've got all kinds of apps and all kinds of opportunities. So some of you say, well, I've got to be up at 5.30 and i got to be on the road because I'm driving this crazy. That's why we've retired in London, not Toronto. Not I've uh, got to drive two hours to get to work. Okay, you can have it on an app. So you don't have to read it. If you can listen to it, good. But you've got to be listening to God, either getting it in through the ear or through your eyes. If you don't do that, if you think, well, I go to church every week, This little bit of teaching here, how can that fight against all the media that will be inputting, all the conversations you're having with all the people who have this culture's thinking rather than God's thinking? You say, well, what really makes us so different if you're talking about thinking the way God wants you to think? Well, really quickly, here are five things. We who are followers of Jesus, we believe in revelation. We believe God is personal, that he's revealed himself, and he's revealed truth to us. So we believe that there are some absolute truths that flow through every generation. Our culture says there are no absolutes. That's good for you? Great. It's not good for me. You believe that? That's fine. I believe this. That's the culture we live in. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you say, you have to say, and in a conversation you say it as lovingly as you can, as carefully as you can, but I'm sorry, I I really do believe there is one belief that is true. We believe in revelation. We believe in creation. We don't think that this is a chance happening universe with no ultimate meaning. We don't believe what is so often, you've got to make your own meaning. No, you don't. Out of here, a Christian, you don't make your own meaning. God's given you a meaning. You're created for the glory of God. You're created to do his will. Now, what his will is for you and for me, that'll be different in the specifics, but we have meaning. We know we're created to live with God forever. We have purpose and meaning. That makes you different from everybody else around you who's not a believer. We believe in the fall. We have realistic expectations. We're not shocked when people cheat or lie, even if they've been well-educated doesn't make a difference. So we, we know that there is sin and shame that we experience and others experience. But we also believe in redemption. We believe in a God who is gracious and generous and loving. And so he comes to us and says, I don't, I'm not impressed with you at all. But I love you because I made you, because I created humans to have a relationship with me. And so I'm willing to accept you as you are as long as you are willing to be transformed into the image of Christ. And so we have this belief that means that we accept God's grace and love and forgiveness, but then it also means, and here there's a break sometimes in people saying, it also means that I live with grace and love and forgiveness to others. It is easy for me to forgive. There are dramatic examples. If we had time, we could talk about. Some of them have been in the news in the U.S. of dramatic forgiveness acts. And part of the world says, That's really impressive, but it's a terrible thing to do. They don't deserve forgiveness. We who follow Jesus say, I have received so much forgiveness and grace and love. Yes, that's got to characterize my life. Please keep transforming my mind. So I love that way. And then we believe in eternity. And those who don't believe in anything after life, of course have different values than you because you are living for eternity which means money's not so important. A new house, new car is not so important. A new vacation is not so important. We have a different long-range view. We're investing for eternity. That's why we give more than others. And then finally, we enjoy living the will of God. As we transform, allow God to transform our minds, cooperate with him in transforming our minds, then as we face decisions more and more, We are thinking like God wants us to think, with the values that he has given us. And as you think right, more and more you will speak and act right. For, of course, it's not enough that I've been reading the Bible for decades. It is I've been reading it, thinking about it, and doing my best to obey it. And then talking with others about it. And listening to others who are talking about it. You don't have to be defeated or frustrated as a Christian. You don't have to feel like, man, I wish I had more meaning in my life. This comes when you give your life to God and then you let him transform your mind as you say no to the culture and yes. Really quick illustration. Big decision. We had lived in Edmonton for 12 years, teaching Bible college, preaching in churches out there. It's way, way back. And then I felt God was leading me to say, no, I'm going to resign at the end of the year. Gave lots of notice for that, but don't know where I'm supposed to go. I think it's time for me to stop teaching Bible calls, start pastoring a church. And I thought we were going to be called to Vancouver, which I would love. Get away from Edmonton's cold weather, get closer to the water. And instead, it didn't work out. I finally had to say no to the invitation there. Out of the blue comes an invitation to Florida. That was not a hard decision. If you ever lived in Edmonton, back in those years, back in the 70s, early 80s. So we moved to Florida. Had great eight years there with our kids, just in the growing up stage. Then out of the blue, I get a call, would you come to Toronto and teach at Tyndale Seminary? I said, I don't think that's me, but I'll certainly help you find somebody. And then a second time, I got a call. And a third time call, I thought, maybe this is from God. Is it something I want? I grew up, Leaside, Scarborough, Markham. I don't want to go to Toronto. It's too big. It's too expensive. It's too cold. I've still got teenagers. From a human standpoint, it was crazy. Move north, sure, North Carolina. But (laughs) Toronto... So when I came to Toronto, I'm really pushing my time here, I'll be quick. When I came to Toronto, fun thing happened. I went into a travel agent and I just said, you know what, I'm going to have to fly back because my family's not going to move here in six months. I've just moved to Toronto. She said, from where? I said, from Florida. She looked at me and said, why? (laughs) And I said, because I think, I I don't usually talk like this. I said, because God seems to have said to me that I should do that. Her head went back down looking at flights to see what my best flight tracking, if I have to fly back, sir. Then after coming is really sweet, she just looks back up at me and says, if I were you, I'd talk to God again. <laughs> we moved here and had wonderful years at Tyndale and then here because we've given ourselves wholly to God and we want his will. We want his will every day, in every way, small decisions, large decisions. You're beginning the rest of your life right now the best thing you can do is give, your God, your, give God your whole life, resist the culture, and live with a transformed mind, and you will be glorified, God will be glorified, and you will have the best life you could possibly have. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your goodness to us. Thank you that you would even want us to give ourselves to you. That, in a sense, is amazing. But you do. You love us. You love us as we are. But you're willing to work at changing us as we cooperate with you. May we, any of us who haven't given our lives fully to you, do that today. May we, if we haven't, begin the practice of letting the word of God flush out the wrong thinking in our lives. So that we can be transformed into the people you want us to be. Mind, heart, body, All of us becoming like you. You are the king. We want to honor you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.